Hello, and welcome back. I'm your charming host, Cameron Baker. Tonight, we have a special guest for you. That's right, another featured author. You may know Catherine McCarthy from her novels, The Gatekeeper's Apprentice, or Hope Cottage. But tonight, we bring you a nightmare from her most recent collection of short stories, Door and Other Twisted Tales. In it, she explores the darkest corners of supernatural fantasy, and we invite you to join us. Who are we? Well, we are the unwanted things. And we give you The Hunter by Catherine McCarthy. <laughs> Am I the hunter or the hunted? I dwell alone in this wilderness. That is my choosing. For I do not care of the company of others. My spear is my true companion, for it guides me to sustenance. I carry nothing else, having no desire for worldly goods. As I make my way throughout this world, I know no fear, not when I stare into the primitive silver eye of the wolf the moment before the kill, nor when its blood-curdling howl wakes me at night, not even when I know the pack have tracked my scent and encircled me. I am not afraid. It is simply a matter of myself or the wolf. We both need to eat, so it nearly comes down to whichever of us manages to outwit the other. I know the pathways of these lands as well as I know the lines which cross my palm, and I fear nothing that this world holds. This is how it has been, for as long as I can remember. Yet these past days and nights, I have known fear for the very first time. The very thought of it is abhorrent. And yet I have fallen hook, line, and sinker into its void. I am afraid, because unlike the wolf, this thing is concealed from me. It does not show itself. But I know it is there. The midwinter night had closed in rapidly. The merest sliver of moonlight outwitted the blackness of the cave. The mass of clouds which had gathered during the day, played hide-and-seek with the stars as they tumbled onwards in their haste to reach higher ground. 
It was just as the last embers coughed and spluttered their final breath that I noticed it. Anticipating the inevitable cold, I had wrapped the wolf's pelt about my shoulders, when suddenly my bare feet, cold as stone, were swathed in an invisible blanket. My face, the skin rugged and weather-worn, and thus not usually sensitive to change, was scorched by an invisible torch. I squinted in the gloom, my eyes only seeing a pattern of swirling circles of gray from beyond. From behind the retina in their attempt to adjust to the sudden darkness, I saw nothing. I was blind. No movement. No shadow. Nothing did I detect but black. Yet I knew it was there. I was certain, without even a hint of doubt, that it stood right in front of me. For its huge presence obliterated even the sliver of moonlight, so that all before me was dark as death. It is as I have already said, for the first time, I knew fear. Despite the intense heat, I shivered and cried out. Leaping swiftly to my feet, I stabbed at the blackness with my spear. But it was futile. No sound did it make, and no movement did I feel. Yet the oppressive heat stubbornly remained. I jabbed again and again. But my efforts were in vain. All I succeeded in doing was to exhaust myself. My heart raced like a trapped fox's the moment before the sharp, metallic teeth put pay to its life. The wolf's pelt had slipped to the rocky ground, but I felt no cold. My almost naked body, moist with sweat, stunk of fear. I was as one possessed. Then, as suddenly as it had appeared, it disappeared. I did not hear it go, nor did I sense any movement in the fetid night air. But the shard of moonlight returned as my companion in an otherwise desolate land. Still alert, I remained crouched, holding my fears firmly in my grasp. Gradually, my heartbeat slowed, and I shivered as the clammy sweat cooled upon my skin. Reluctant to relinquish my weapon, I searched the rocky ground about me with my free hand and found the wolf's pelt. Snatching it up, I stepped backwards. One, two, three paces. Until I was inside the relative safety of the cave. That night, I did not sleep well. I breathed heavily into the gloom, my breath a welcome, rhythmic pulse of mist 
and the otherwise nothingness. I was afraid that it might return. No doubt, there will be those among you who believe that what I experienced was nothing more than the overactive imagination of the solitary. Or worse, that I was no longer in full possession of my mind. That the years of self-induced isolation had rendered me insane. Only I know this is not true. Not a speck of doubt remains, but that it was here, watching, taunting, reveling in my terror. Eventually, fatigue overcame me, and I drifted into a fitful sleep. I rarely dreamed, for I possessed a quiet mind, both by day and by night. The mind of the panther, calm, stealthy, patient. This self-control was what gave me the upper hand when hunting prey. But on this night, I dreamed. The blazing blackness had returned. It enveloped me in its heat until my skin blistered until I could hear each lair sizzle as it roasted, until I could smell the putrid stench of my own flesh burning. I screamed with pain, and my cry awoke me. I lay panting into the still, dank air of the cave. How can blackness encompass such heat? In this world, heat and light go hand in hand. They are familiar companions. Cold and dark, heat and light. And how can this thing which extinguished the light from my world manifest such intense heat? I considered the answer and concluded that there could be only one explanation. This thing not of my world. It was alien to me, this reluctance to leave my cave and carry out my daily hunt, for such was my ritual. It was as natural as the certainty that day followed night, but on this day I was loath to do so. It was with trepidation that I stepped into the light of dawn understanding that my hesitancy would be tenfold once night returned. I sharpened my spear on the rock until its tip glistened, and then held it aloft to the sun, but it merely aroused me in a sense of foolishness, knowing that I had already used it against the thing, and it had proved sorely lacking. Still, what else could I do? I must simply hope that I would never again encounter it. I drank from the stream and satiated what little appetite I had with nuts and berries collected from the woods before making my way downstream, following the tracks of the wolf pack. 
Having paused to examine their feces, I understood that today's journey would take me deep into the heart of the forest before I would be able to make my kill. I considered making do with rabbit or squirrel, but this would only suffice for a day, two at most. If I could kill a wolf, then not only could I eat for a week, but perhaps I might also regain some sense of mastery. Perhaps doing so might help diminish the burden of fear which currently strode beside me as an invisible and uninvited companion. Let me assure you, there is no greater evil to man than that which the mind creates for itself, for that is all-consuming. It destroys man's wit and opens him to self-sacrifice. My bowels were a churning pit of waste. I did not know which was worse. The fear of it returning to consume me in the intensity of its heat, or the fear of my subsequent lack of control. Many times did my mind try to reason that just because it had found me once, it did not necessarily mean it would come again. I tried to reassure myself that if it had wanted to devour me, it would have done so the previous night. And yet, deep down, I knew I had become prey. I knew that perhaps even now, as I traversed the forest in search of my own prey, it lurked in wait. It did not want to finish me quickly. Instead, it wished to torment me until I grew crazed. How had I changed from a steady, logical mortal into a feverish, trembling wreck in the space of just one night? It did not seem possible. But I was beyond reason, for it had stolen all logic. I had once been powerful, a sniper in the forest. Now my bowels churned with cowardice. As a gesture of courage, I decided to test my will and sleep that night in the forest rather than return to the relative safety of my cave. But was this really a brave decision? Was I not more afraid of my own domain, the whereabouts of which it had certain knowledge? Was this open-to-the-world environment, with only the canopy of trees for a roof, really any more dangerous? Out here, I would most certainly be more vulnerable to attack by the wolf pack. But at least here I recognized my enemy. My nose knew its scent, my ears the howl of its call, my eyes the pattern of its prints. The only other being I thought I knew better was myself. Now I doubted even that. Night fell abruptly, as for the second night in a row, the morose clouds gathered, diminishing the short daylight hours. 
the temperature quickly plummeted to below freezing. I had still not yet sighted the pack. They had begun the day several hours ahead of me and must, I assumed, have continued on their journey at a significant pace. This I considered unusual, as wolf packs tend to rest during the day, reserving their energy for their favored night attacks, when the element of surprise means they are far more likely to overpower their victim. Suddenly, it dawned on me. They must have witnessed it, too. Were they also fleeing its presence, just as I was? All day long, the forest had been unnaturally devoid of sound. As a hunter and tracker, I should have noticed this sooner. Obviously, I was off my guard. I sat in silence, my back resting against a tall pine. Its companions peered down at me, swaying their heads from side to side, and tutting my lack of wit. Since my meager breakfast, I had not taken a bite, nor had I drunk. As the last remnant of daylight faded, I ambled towards the stream to quench my thirst. I reasoned that I would also eat, but had brought no food, having expected to kill a wolf, or at the very least a deer. But both had concealed themselves well, even the smaller forest animals, the mice and squirrels, had not shown their faces. And now, for the first time, I also realized what it was that had contributed to the silence of the day, for the birds had not sung, not even to cry out in warning to one another. Those braver, such as the rooks, had not mocked me by calling above my head. Indeed, I now realized that almost every trace of life seemed to have vanished from the forest. Were they in hiding? Or had they simply been wiped out? Even if I managed to make a kill, I would have been reluctant to build a fire, for I feared that its light and warmth may once again attract the thing. Had it been the fire outside my cave the previous night which had enticed it to visit? Perhaps heat was attracted to heat, and that is why it had come. Or was this simply the rambling of a mind so exhausted that it was no longer able to function logically? For the second night in a row, I slept fitfully, cold and alone, with not even the nocturnal creatures for company. But that night, it did not come. At the crack of dawn, I woke. I stretched my aching back and looked about. Still, still and quiet not even the creak of swaying trees. The sky was a gray blanket. No break of sunlight to cheer the atmosphere, nothing but a cold gray mist which hunkered low amidst the trees with no intention of leaving. My empty stomach gnawed with hunger, so I fed it with what I could gather nearby. I sat to eat at the base of the tree and pondered what I should do next. By now, I was convinced that the forest animals also knew of the thing, for I had never before encountered such silence.
I decided to continue my journey downstream in the knowledge that it would eventually lead to the river, which would, in turn, lead to the people. I, who had sought only solace for the past twenty-two years, now felt the need for company. I understood that my real need was reassurance that life continued, that it had not been entirely eradicated. But why should I care? I had never before sought human company, so why now should I feel this way? I truly could not answer. It was just instinct, that of seeking the existence of a life other than one's own. I simply needed to know that I was not alone in the world. Even if I had no desire for human interaction, I needed to know that somewhere out there, life endured. Two more days and nights passed by, much as the previous one had done. Still, I neither saw nor heard any signs of life, and the incessant cloud and mist continued to chill the forest air and afford me no distant vision. Without the stream to follow, I would have given myself up as lost. Its burbling journey was the only sound, and I followed it in hope. On the third day, it began to widen, and eventually joined the river, just as I knew it would. I had come this way before, long ago. That night, chilled to the bone, and having survived only on a diet of cold water and edible berries, I decided to take a chance and light a small fire. I desperately needed warmth and food. Still, I had neither seen nor heard any trace of animal life not even fresh droppings, but I had gathered fungi and bitter greens to cook on a stone on the fire. I knew that having reached the river, a day's journey would bring me to a little village. This, along with warm food, helped to temporarily soothe me and reignited a little hope. All the same, I remained on guard, anxiously keeping watch. Having eaten and warmed myself, I quickly doused the fire, my fear of attracting the thing still acute. It was with great trepidation that I lay upon my bed of leaves that night. The motionless mist clung to the trees, and the silence in the air was ever-present. Curled like a fetus, in an attempt to retain some warmth, I eventually drifted to sleep. It was approaching the early hours when I felt it. At first, still asleep, I was, moment, I was momentarily comforted by its warmth. But as consciousness grew, I knew it could only mean one thing. It had returned, just as I knew it would. I bolted upright, eyes open, and attempted to find a point of reference in front of me. With it, the blackness had returned, 
or was it the blackness? Once again, its intense heat choked me until I felt as though I might suffocate. No flame, no smoke, no sound. It was simply an inferno of blackness. In front. Behind. And beneath me. In desperation, I cried out, Who are you? Why do you not show yourself? Silence answered my cry. I knew that any attempt to fight would be useless. I was ready to face my end. With a sudden, calm sense of resignation, I slumped to the ground. Staring ahead into the nothingness, I meekly allowed the ferocious heat to devour me. No pain, no suffering. And finally, no fear. When I awoke, I was perplexed, for I had not expected to awake. I sat up and gazed about. The stillness and eerie mist ensued. My heart beat rapidly, and I was filled with a sense of disappointment that it had not ended. This torment, this nothingness, this waiting for it to end was worse than death. I undressed and examined my body, expecting to see burns, but there were none. I did not understand how that could be, since its heat had been so intense. I looked about, expecting damage to the trees and foliage, but again there was none. It was then that I wondered if this were not some kind of hell. I held no belief in such things. Yet I could not understand how otherwise so much heat could leave no scars. And so, it was with little enthusiasm that I continued my journey that day. I resumed my path of the river and continued to follow it for several miles. The ceaseless mist, an ever-present, cloying chaperone. Eventually, it led towards the village. In the near distance, I spied the simple wooden huts. The mist allowed no longer view. As I approached, I knew that I would be disappointed, that I would find no life here. The emptiness, the abandonment, was inevitable. Tentatively, I pushed open the door to the first hut. My suspicions were confirmed, for it was utterly devoid of life. Whoever had once dwelt here had merely ceased to exist. No sign of struggle. No sign of panic. It did not appear that the residents had attempted to take any belongings, and yet there were no bodies. I was not surprised to find all the other huts in a similar state. I sat upon a crude wooden bench, in front of the last hut, and wept. Never before had I experienced such utter hopelessness. It was one thing choosing to live out my life alone, in the knowledge that elsewhere 
others lived in their chosen way. For years I had taken for granted the sounds and sights of my companions, the birds and animals of the forest. Without realizing it, they had satisfied my instinct for knowing that I was not alone. Now there was nothing but oblivion. I could have continued my journey, and sought village after village, town after town. But however far I traveled, I knew I would be met with the same nothingness. And the cold, dank mist refused to lift. And the invisible sun could not beat it. If I'm to be this solitary, this cold, this afraid, then I would rather it end. I am no longer the hunter, for there is nothing to hunt. Am I the hunted? I fear not, for it has found me twice. And... <laughs> Thank you for listening to Unwanted Things, and a special thanks to Catherine McCarthy for allowing us to use her short story, The Hunter. Be sure to look for her other novels, The Gatekeeper's Apprentice, or Hope Cottage, and the collection of short stories that this story came from, Door, and other twisted tales. Be sure to follow and share us on your social media. Thank you again. We'll see you soon.